Welcome to the Command Show. Starring Anthony Castros and Brian Brush. Hey everybody, Anthony Castros and Brian Brush coming to you live. I am in California. My friend Brian is in Oklahoma. And uh, we are excited about tonight's show. We have a couple of very special guests that we'll get to in a moment. Uh, before we do, we'd like to open our show with just a quick mention of what we've been talking about for many, many years now, and that is the NIOSH 5. And as you all know, uh, NIOSH is the National Institute of Occupational Safety and Health. And they've been keeping track of our line of duty deaths and near misses and injuries and so forth for many, many, many years. And if we look at the causal factors, not the physiological factors like asphyxiation or trauma or burns or heart attacks or vehicle accidents, when we get to the actual operational causal factors that, that lead to those events, including, um, again, near misses and injuries and just overall dysfunctional five-run operations, the five issues, the MASH five, are lack of uh, risk assessment, i.e. poor size up, lack of accountability, uh, inadequate or lack of good communications, lack of inadequate incident command, and lack of SOGs are not following the ones you have. And we open every show with that just as a reminder, and those things live in what we call the tactical gap. And and if we can bridge that gap between the incident commander at the strategic level, the crews working at the task level by the use of the incident command system, division group supervisors, then we're going to be way ahead of the curve. I had the good fortune of riding with the Los Angeles City Fire Department recently, about two weeks ago, and went on a couple of fires, one of which was a commercial structure. And being LA City, they did a magnificent job as always. And uh, they set up uh, they set up a division before the two chiefs even arrived. Their uh, incident commander was a captain, two task force commander. And uh, he had two captains working for him in Division A. And then when uh, the chief arrived, uh, he went to the roof to become roof division. And the two chiefs uh, assumed command and, be- and took over Division Alpha that was already established. So, these are the things we can do on, on uh, fires on a routine basis to bridge that gap for, and uh, prevent the NASH fire from coming into place. Our existence on this planet is to save lives. And with that, we are here tonight to talk about just that. Um, Brian and I are excited to have our special guest, uh, Chief Richard Ray from the UL FSRI uh, Residential Home Size Up and Search and Rescue Operations Technical Panel. That's a big mouthful. Um, and we're also going to be joined by... Uh, Good friend, Captain Russ Gardner from Sacramento Metro uh, in a little while. So what I'd like to do is, is kind of open the discussion between uh, my two friends here. But before I do, I want to preface this by talking about the importance of staying focused on life and the life priority. And it's very easy for us to get uh, enthralled and distracted and fired up and and looking at the flames, and that's a critical element of our mission is to put the fire out or extinguish it, or more importantly, confine it before worrying about extinguishing it. But that's all within the the concert of the critical objectives of search and rescue and ventilation to maximize the potential to save a life, and along with that comes medical. And as you all know, if you're listening to this show, uh, our friend Brian Brush, uh, founder of the FirefighterRescueSurvey.com, has done some amazing work. I think he'll tell you they're up to about 3,000 surveys now of civilians rescued across the country. And this is quantitative and qualitative data that really looks at the experiential side of the house. Looking at the, from a database point of view, but looking at experiences 
time, tactics, uh, staffing levels, everything you can imagine is being measured to find out what best practices are from an experiential standpoint. Along with that, we have our friends at uh, UL FSRI who have just fresh, hot off the press, ink is still wet, have produced the residential home size up and search and rescue operations technical panel uh, who have produced their, their latest work, which is uh, incredible. I just read it today. Uh, it's a must read and it's gonna add to the, to the dialogue across the country. And uh, I think when you juxtapose the research and science with the experience, uh, you get the best outcome because you're looking at things that are reaffirmed in both arenas. Um, and when you can look at something that is that is seen and aligned in both the experiential realm and the science uh, research realm, you know that you're probably on the right track. So, without further ado, I'll get off the get off the chat box here. I'm going to introduce um, Richard Ray, and I'm going to actually ask Brian Brush to introduce him because Brian was the one who uh, who uh, reached out to Chief Ray to see if he'd join us tonight. So without further ado, Brian, if you could introduce our guest and add anything you'd like. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I am excited about it, uh, especially since, you know, the, the UL search and uh, size up study, it, it's been public, but for just such a brief period of time. And uh, I'm really excited to have, uh, you know, Richard Ray, and then um, the other chief that you're bringing on, guys who have been a part of this uh, process for years now, um, because they have such a, a, a greater depth of knowledge in it and can kind of articulate things that we are just starting to scratch the surface on. So uh, I've known Richard Ray for a while now, just a, a, a great a great gentleman, a student of the fire service, also gives back through uh, teaching and being a part of panels like this and currently functioning as a, as a battalion chief at uh, Durham, North Carolina. So definitely brings that, uh, that tactical path and strategic level uh, perspective to this. So um, Richard, why don't you give us a little bit of background on, uh, on yourself and then also really when this search study started, because I know it, it predates COVID even. Yes. Yeah, so number one, thank you for having me on the show. It's, uh, it's a pleasure. Um, so a little bit about me real quick, uh, 30 years in the service, um, would volunteer and career service. So I, I get the, the best of both worlds, if you will, small department to a larger department. Um, but yeah, as far as the study goes, it dates back to, uh, 2019, we come together, um, which is one of the, the great things about this UL panel is that it, it, it didn't, it wasn't just one area of the United States that they, they drew people from, and it just wasn't one particular size fire department. They they drew from fire departments of varying sizes, from small to big, um, brought in some really great people um, with, 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 with magnificent fire service history and background. And, uh, and, and we spent three days um, there in Maryland with them um, going over the start of the process, some of the things that we want to test for, look at that kind of stuff, and and really kind of digging into to what to to the facts that 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 we were trying to discover, and really some of the things we were just trying to reinforce what it is we've been doing for so many years. So we 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 got into that, and it was really good. And then of course things happen, COVID hits, and it's a lot of stuff that we we end up doing phone conference and that kind of stuff, kind of some back and forth dialogue, some chat groups, that kind of stuff. And we come together in um, the fall of 
2020, I think it was, and we when they started doing the, the series of, of uh, burns, and and we all capped it off um, this year um, again. Um, we had to kind of do it over over phones or email chats, that kind of stuff, because we, we just couldn't get everybody together. So it, it's kind of a it was a little different process from some of the previous panels, but um, nonetheless, it was it was really good. Outstanding. And then one thing just to kind of uh, touch on since it is um, timely and then also, you know, just give you a chance to kind of start this off with uh, before we get too much into this, the search study and the size up components of it. Um, but you guys all just got together again from various tech panels uh, in a meeting in Philadelphia uh, last week um, with UL. Uh, I can give you just kind of a second to speak about the gathering, um, what the mission and, and new look of UL FSRI is and, uh, and the direction that they're headed. So, yeah, so we, we come together with uh, their advisory board um, and different members from the previous panels were selected to come in again. There was, there was a broad range of diverse individuals in this room that it was kind of the who's who of the fire service, if you will, and it was really great networking and discussing about how to, to move the fire service forward. And to further that is what, what does ULFSRI need to focus on? Is there something that we need to go back and look at? Did, did they, did they, have they missed something? And, and it was really good um, because it's how we're going to progress forward in the fire service. So it was, uh, it was three days of um, – of a lot of interaction, a lot of discussion that was very positive, and uh, I'm excited about what UL FSRI is going to be doing in the future. Well, thank you very much, brother, for uh, joining us. I know there's going to be a lot of people who are going to have questions. Um, you know, some may call in and some uh, may listen to this after they download this um, after tonight. So uh, we're going to anticipate the types of questions they have and hopefully get ahead of the curve. Um, what I'd like to do is bring on one of our first callers. And uh, this gentleman is calling from uh, California. His name is Carlos. And I want to give Carlos a chance to ask you a question. Go ahead, Carlos. Thank you. Appreciate the your time. Uh, you know, being kind of cut off, so I might have missed some of the conversation. Uh, but definitely some of the home size up, uh, especially for the area that we work in, is all cul-de-sacs. So, I mean, that's kind of a challenge for me coming into a new department. So really getting a size up and kind of access points has kind of always been a challenge. So just kind of trying to get some more kind of intelligence if they can provide any as far as something I've been finding is kind of accessing from the adjoining streets just because of the limited uh, access we have on a certain one because once we get vehicles in there i mean that's it you're not getting anybody else in there and as an ic i really most of the time i i gotta park way down the street because there's just no access for me carlos thanks for uh, thanks for calling in go ahead carlos uh, thanks ahead. for calling in and, and and asking about this you know i think it's um this isn't a unique isn't a unique situation for uh, for cul-de-sacs. Um, you know, a lot of areas that have long driveways off of main thoroughfares and stuff. And 
Um, you know, one thing that Chief Castro uh, uses quite a bit in his class as a as another uh, location for a command post is the front seat of the first due rig. Um, if that company is engaged in in the firefight, then kind of that that front seat provides a a, a closer view for that IC if you're uh, willing to kind of bump up your location. Okay, that's actually a good point. I never really kind of thought of changing that up, which kind of makes sense. And I did take a cast, Chief Castro's class, and I actually added a, a camera to my rig because that was an option that not only does it give a, a different view of what happened, but it also records the tag channel because uh, we, we don't have a way of referring to what happened. Uh, but, yeah, I never really kind of thought of that, but that's actually a good suggestion. Yeah, you know, the the whole point of it is is trying to continue a seamless transition. If if you already have an incident commander in the form of a company officer before you arrive as the first chief, then that that incident commander, that initial incident commander is going to be having a pretty good idea of accountability and tactical considerations that are going on and how they're going to develop their own incident action plan. You don't want to, that's a tactical advantage having that, that I see, and what we tend to do is we relegate them to, to just back onto the end of a hose line at the task level with their crew, which is where they probably want to go. But if we make them a tactical supervisor, then we we really leverage the benefit of the tactical knowledge that they have in their head and put them in, say, for example, Division A. Or if you have victims like we're talking about tonight, you group supervisor, for example. Um, on that fire I mentioned from last week in LA City, the captain too was the IC, and he was. Uh, placed in, we went from the IC position because of LA City's SOGs to roof division, so he was able to maintain that tactical awareness. But the chiefs there have drivers, and so the battalion chief I was riding with, uh, he had a really good idea of what was going on, and, and he ended up taking Division Alpha uh, over from another captain. And uh, that seamless transition is helpful. And, and if you do have that situation where there's a lot of rigs, um, you know, I've I've been in that situation, maybe not a cul-de-sac. Um, I've been in cul-de-sac situations, so those are pretty common. But also think about an apartment complex. Perhaps the entrance to the apartment complex is blocked. Um, using the eyes and ears of your first-in company officers, especially one who's in command when you arrive, making them a tactical uh, supervisor really alleviates that need for you to, to really have that front row. But again, like Brian said, if it is necessary, um, taking the cab gives you the MBT, gives you multiple radios, and it's something that you should definitely practice um, and talk to your company officers about so that uh, you have that benefit. I, I would teach my company officers, and we typically teach that if you are in the incident command position as a company officer, typically not staying, that you want to be able to see what's going on, conduct a lap, talk to bystanders, really see and feel what's going on, and also do a lot of face-to-face -face, uh, communication. But as a chief, you do want to kind of remove yourself from that environment a little bit. So, great question, Carlos. Did you have any other ones uh, tonight? Because I think when I when we were talking earlier, you said you might have another question. Uh, no, I'm just kind of really grabbing my attention to the subject you guys have for that. Cause it kind of goes with what we had and uh, we've seen kind of different types of fires. And like the last one we ran was a commercial fire, was a kind of a large hangar. It came in as a, it was a fire alarm, and then actually bumped up to us. Uh, they found some cold smoke coming out of it, and they just kind of the search, you know, searching 
large large scale location, and you kind of talk about a captain of a first in, a first in captain already had a really good idea of what, what was going on. Uh, because I respond, I'm 10 minutes away, so I was listening to the radio, and he was assigning divisions and you know assignments. And, and so for me, it was like, man, he's already kind of got it handled pretty well. So I just kind of let him continue running with it. Cause, and then at the end, he did want to pass it on, and that's kind of when I made him a division supervisor for for the Charlie side, which I can see because he had a good uh, feel of when he got the fire alarm and when he bumped it up to a structure fire response. So, uh, I mean, he was nice. great for me, to, for, for me to have on the opposite side of that large building. Uh, so, yeah, that's kind of definitely getting good information and just kind of bouncing that back off, off and on. And uh, I think just learning a lot of uh, when I took the Calm the Chaos, it just getting rid of a lot of some of the older habits that I had that I didn't know were kind of bad habits. And now I'm kind of yeah. putting up new habits, and it's still – because I think people still get uncomfortable not hearing stuff on the radio, but you know when I assign a, right. a division supervisor and I and I say like, hey, engine so and so, you're working for this now, you're working for this engine, and I still get that kind of people feel uncomfortable, like they gotta go talk to me at the IC at the incident command post, and I'm like, hey, you shouldn't be talking to me, like you should, you got somebody you're working right. for, and that should be one person. Uh, so it's just, and I think it just goes uh, with time and for people to understand because. Yeah, you know, that's where I was at too. So I think I would have done the same thing. But uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just getting people just get uncomfortable with with silence. And I was the same way before, but now it's kind of like where I want to get to that point where we're we're not getting that much traffic out there, you know. And that's a work in progress. But yeah. Well, I think you bring up a good point, Carlos. And I appreciate that, brother. You bring up a great point, and that is. As you become more seasoned, I think you start to realize that silence is golden. Silence is a good thing. And, and because of conventional command, you know, the more radio traffic than supposedly the more information, which means the incident commander is more comfortable because he or she is getting information. But the fact of the matter is more radio traffic does not mean more information. It just means more radio traffic. And that oftentimes blocks out the important radio traffic, like a victim or a mayday or knockdown or fire in the basement or what have you. So appreciate the appreciate the comments and for you calling in, brother. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. So you, uh, Chief Ray, um, oh, go go ahead, Chief Brush. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just uh, you know appreciate the the caller to to bring it back to Chief Ray and uh, to start getting into the uh, the search and study. Um, I did want to kind of just show people who aren't aware of it to focus on the actual uh, context of the structure that you guys use. This was um, just a single story, uh, single building that, that all the searches and, uh, and studies were conducted in. Is that, that correct, Chief? Yes, sir. So they, uh, on the training grounds there in Delaware County, they, they built two houses here on the east coast we would call them ranch style houses you go in the front door it's the kitchen the room behind it is the ki- i mean excuse me you go through the front door it's the living room behind it's the kitchen and then to the left was four bedrooms and um one bedroom on each side of the the the, the building had a bathroom off of it so it was basically a ranch style house um something very similar to what you would see 
pretty much anywhere throughout the United States, I would guess, you know, um, especially, I can speak to it, especially here on the East Coast, that, you know, we have a lot of these, but um, the, the, the neat thing about it was, was that um, they were able to replicate things over and over again. I mean, it was the, 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 the gauges that they had, the way they were monitoring, all that kind of stuff was, was really good. And, and the fact that it was in houses like what, what we would we would go to tonight, um, I think makes it more makes it more tangible for the uh, for the firefighter, right? So when when a firefighter looks at this this study and they start thinking about, well, how does this apply to to my department or my organization, my staffing level? Well, number one, they can start off with, you know what? Yeah, we've got some homes like this, um, and, and they can really dive into the report and start looking at some, you know. Things that happen when you close the doors, open windows, all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I would like to add one thing um, that I kind of left out earlier when we were, we were talking about um, the study, and I think this is a really important aspect, is that um, after that initial meeting, we were the, the panel was charged to go back to their respective departments and do um, time-to-task events. So... Um, forcible entry, a window-initiated search, um, victim drags, all that kind of stuff. And, and what that was was to get a, a baseline of how long it takes to perform certain tasks. And I think what we have found is that we're not quite as quick as what we thought we were. Um, so when you, when you start thinking about that and then you apply it to the house that, that UL was, was working in, it, it really brings things to home that, you know what, this is, you know, it, it, it it kind of almost gives it somewhat of a street feel. I know it's still science, and I know it's you know in controlled environment that kind of stuff. But it really, it really gave it a personal touch to hey, this 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 is something that I would see, and I, this is this is something that that I can learn from and and benefit the citizens that I serve. Richard, how many uh, how many people from on the board? Um, on this technical panel were actually present during the, the different, uh, the actual days of the burning. Was everybody there, only the people that could make it or? So, so that, that's a great question. And that was tough because that was kind of, um, I'm not going to say it was during the height of COVID, but it was kind of in, in, in a lull before COVID kind of spiked back up. And it was, it was really tough. Um, and, we, we had to follow some parameters set forth from UL, FSRI, and so the, the two days that I went, it was, I believe it was four or five of us from the panel that were there, and they, you know, they were, they were spread out throughout the, the 21 experiments. So, un, unfortunately, as much as it would have been nice for everybody to get together just due to, to, to COVID and that kind of stuff, we, we had to kind of go at separate times, and so, um, which I guess you could say that kind of made the dialogue a little bit a little bit more difficult, but but nonetheless everybody still had the same opportunity. Now, as to far as whether or not everybody got to attend, I'm not 100% sure on, on who was able to attend and who didn't. So, Roger that. Hey, for those of you um, just joining us, we are talking uh, with uh, a good friend of ours. Uh, this is Battalion Chief Richard Ray. And he was a member of the UL FSRI Residential Home Size Up and Search and Rescue Operations Technical Panel. And they have just published or made at least quasi-public 
their analysis of search and rescue tactics in single story, single family homes. Uh, part three, tactical considerations. Uh, this is a, a great uh, document, another excellent uh, uh, document that comes to us from Underwriter Laboratories and the Fire Safety Research Institute, um, a continuum of excellent research and science to help us do our job better. And we're just kind of warming up right now. Um, so what I'd like to do is, is maybe open up a little more, get a little deeper into the into the findings and the considerations that you found. Um, and maybe just kind of set up for us. You, you talked about the type of buildings and the, and so forth. Um, what were what were some of the key findings um, that that we probably have heard before, but that were reinforced in this research? So um, some of the things about uh, isolation, you know, um, so ventilation, all this stuff has to be appropriately timed right or coordinated if you will so if you you know you you're you're ahead of the fire or you're searching away from the fire and you you know you get you get in a room with a victim maybe you're limited staffing or whatever maybe you can get them over to a window you've isolated yourself in a bedroom raise the window get some ventilation going getting some fresh air in there um some of the things that we looked at too was the you know the importance of closing of isolating yourself if you're doing a vent inner search, and, and we looked at how, um, you know, they looked at the pre some of the things that they identified within the structure. I think is is, is of importance here is, is you know the toxicity, temperatures, um, heat flux, air velocity as it moves through the building, um, gas pressure, those types of things, and and, and it really led us to, um, you know, isolation is a big deal. If you can isolate, um, do it. Keeping the victim as low as you possibly can if you've got to bring them back out the way you come in. Or how about this? Maybe you don't go out the way you come in. You choose a different route to get out, that kind of stuff. So, um, you know, a lot of things that that we already knew that we may not have thought about, you know, it may have, may have fallen to the back of our mind, but it comes back to the forefront, you know, isolation, ventilation, um, keeping the occupant as low as you can and keeping them away from the fire area, those types of things that, that reinforces the points of, of good fundamental search techniques. Um, and that was, you know, that, that's kind of, when, when you look at the study, that, that's kind of almost in a sense um, what, it really, what it really leads to. Now, one of the things that I would say for, for our, for our um, listeners out there is that if you do look at the study and you're looking at the charts, just, just uh, as Keith Stake said last week, purple is bad. That would be one of the things that I, w I would really encourage our listeners to when they're reading the study is that if they see purple on a graph, um, that, that's bad. And so when you start looking at how does ventilation affect it, what is the, what is the benefit of hydraulic ventilation, um, after fire knockdown, how does that help the occupant? All those types of, of um, aspects were looked at. And, you know, again, I think the big takeaways are isolation, ventilation, um, keeping the, the, uh, the, vic the occupant as low as you can as possible and bringing them out. Um, you know, it, it, one of the, the draws to me for, for the study was that I, I volunteer 
um, on a small department. And, you know, a lot of times you may get to search ahead of the line. Um, Not that that's something that we practice, but, you know, just depending on how staffing is, it, it could force that. And one of the, you know, again, one of the key points that we all know, you know, if you, if maybe you have to start a little bit more remote away from the fire, or as they said the other day, distal to the fire, um, further away in the building. That way you do have some isolation that you can you can have an egress point to get back to um, rather than trying to go right into the throat of the fire. Um, and that's, you know, all aspects that, 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 that firefighters need to know because, you know, there's there's a lot of times where firefighters will get there ahead of a unit, a suppression unit, um, being on a squad or a truck maybe, um, where they go ahead and initiate the search, and, and sometimes they can get in a jam if they go in the wrong place, you know. So um, that that's one of the things that, that this study has done is to, to kind of help guide us and, and just reinforce our skill set. Excuse me, I'm sorry. What, one thing I I liked, well, I mean, I guess I shouldn't say that I liked it, but uh, uh, as far as uh, messages being consistent and being reinforced, um, you know, this the what the tactical consideration about initiating search and uh, suppression at the same time. I think that really highlights how how far we've come in the UL uh, studies in the sense that we we had the fire stream one and and had ventilation and those two were. Uh, kind of done independent, just focusing on those features. But then we, uh, you, you know, you learn from each study, you have the coordination one, and we start to realize that, uh, you know, time is of the essence, especially when we're looking at the survivability, which has been just the, probably the most powerful tool in the UL studies is that we are finally in a position scientifically to evaluate the, the effects on, on humans without actually using humans. And, um, you know, getting that, search and suppression going at the same time, I think that's going to be one of the most powerful drivers going forward. We, we definitely have been suppression centric uh, in the fire service for a long time that the order operations is attack, back up the attack and back up the water supply. Uh, whereas, you know, we, even just within my own organization at Midwest city, we, we have started to push our policies and procedures to, uh, a first line and a first search going, and then you start to reinforce those things, which uh, once again mirrors kind of what Chief Castros is talking about. When we have those high and known victim locations, we want to get a fire attack and a search and rescue group uh, established very early and, and reinforce those. And then finally, in the firefighter rescue survey, we're also seeing that the, the greatest survival outcomes for our, our uh, victims that are rescued are the ones who are located by a dedicated primary search crew. Um, When they're located by fire attack or when they're located by a backup line, um, those, those operators, they they have a primary focus and that's fire attack or backup. And they're they're kind of coming upon the victim where as a dedicated search crew, uh, their objective is to locate and remove victims. And and they are just more successful in that. Uh, Chief Castro, did you want to expand on that at all? Oh boy, do I! <laughs> yeah, you know, we. What I love is, is, is there does seem to be a changing of the tide. Not that it has to go one way or the other, because it's all important. 
Um, what seems to happen in the fire service landscape and or discussion at the national level is there are trends like anything else, like any industry, we have trends. And the trend for the past 10 years has probably been more towards fire attack and with good reason, um, you know, synthetic materials, um, low mass synthetics are, are, you know, reaching flashover much faster. It's making it less tenable for the, for the occupants and for us. And um, however, in that space and in that, I'm going to say last 10 to 15 years, uh, maybe even 20, we have we have kind of become so fire attack centric that SOGs reflect that. Like Brian said, first line, second line, you know, two outline, Rick line, or both um, water supply, second water supply, and you add to that the emphasis over the past 20, 25 years on Rick, which is very important too. These are all important. So please don't misunderstand anybody listening or take me as saying that the fire attack and Rick are not important. They're critical. However, at the same time, search has continued to be pushed back and back into the corner, and we haven't given a commensurate amount of attention to it until I'd say the past three years or so. And um, like Chief Ray mentioned, I think I know for a fact that this this um, panel was commissioned or at least um, initially. Uh, created before COVID, and you, know, you look at how far we've come before they've had a chance to actually put their research out there because of COVID. Um, so for the past three or four years, um, I'm happy to say I think things have changed. You look at what um, UL, then NIST, um, together did with the victim packaging, um, using the sensors and pigskin victim packages, and then how they modified that for this uh, research. And then you look at what's been done with firefighterrescuesurvey.com and, and Chief Brush's work, just phenomenal work. And and it seems like the tide is turning back to center. Not, not that it has to go left or right, but center is a good place because if we're going to actually save humans that are in harm's way from fire and products of combustion and, and gases and CO and hydrogen cyanide and all that goes with it, um, we have to do everything. We can't just do fire attack or just do rescue or just do ventilation or, or just do medical. All four components have to happen as aggressively and simultaneously with as much coordination as possible. And this particular study, um, this particular latest um, set of findings corroborates that. It, it, it continues to corroborate um, what we've been suspecting, what um, previous uh, studies have shown us, that, hey, fast water, fast surge, fast coordinated ventilation, and fast medical make for saved lives. And um, I think this is just an excellent uh, step further in that direction to, to help us understand why. Because today's firefighters are a lot smarter than I was coming on the job. Um, I, I guarantee you they're smarter than Chief Brush was. I mean, I don't even know, whatever. He's got his master's or whatever. But um, they're smarter and they ask why and they want to see, well, don't tell me what I'm supposed to do. Don't tell me how. Tell me why. Why is this the right thing to do? Why does this work? Why is this the preferred method? And, and now with this kind of work, we can show graphs and charts and, and formulas and statistical scientific-based information that corroborates um, what other sources are telling us instead of, well, we just always done it that way or on all the fires I've been on that works. It gives us a lot more uh, teeth. So um, with that, I want to welcome our other guest tonight, 
Um, he, he just called in, and I'm putting him on the spot because I just saw his phone number pop up. But Captain Russell Gardner, a uh, good friend, he's a captain with Sacramento Metro, also on the panel, and he was kind enough to join us last minute. I called him. Uh, he was agreed to join us to kind of add to the conversation. Uh, so with that, welcome, uh, Russ. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Chief. Thanks for having me and giving me a call this afternoon. Uh, hope I didn't miss too much, but I'm glad to chime in where uh, where I can. Still warming up. Um, so, okay. uh, Richard talked about kind of the composition of the the team. It's a it's a wonderful array of folks from all kinds of different agencies, departments, sizes, and backgrounds. Um, talked about the buildings. Talked about the studies. Talked about some of the common findings. One of the things I wanted to ask. Um, you, in particular, Russ, because I know you've been involved with the ULNIST studies for a long time, how are you finding the balance between experience and, and science, the, the research that you're seeing, the data you're putting out, and then how that manifests itself and, and meets with experience on the street? And, and does it, does it, I know there, there at times it's been contentious probably, um, but I think everything is starting to line up more as we move forward. That's what we were just talking about. Yeah, so I this was my uh, second study being involved with. I was also involved with the coordinated fire attack, which led into this search and size up. And, um, you know, that, that bridge that you talked about, I sort of, trying, sort of caught up with you on or caught in on the tail end of your conversation about um, bridging that gap between experience and and uh, as you know, as our, at our organization, Metro Fire, we've lost a lot of experience. Um, over the last decade, when you add up our years of service, in 2011, we were about 7,500 years combined in, uh, years of service amongst our members in the, in the field, and now we're right at 5,000. So that's a, you know, about a one-third drop-off. And um, for us, you know, we do have people because of the requisites to get hired that, that are coming with a more educational background and they, they're starting to ask those questions why and and this helps us bridge some of that gap between uh, maybe people that are you know closer to the end of their career and those that are new in their career and uh, allowing them to not only gain the the knowledge from from people that have been around for a while but also to correlate what they're seeing with their own eyes when they're on the fire ground um, I had the privilege of talking last week at our summit and um, one of the ideas I talked about was how to bridge that gap between experience and and the research and then how that's different for every agency because of where we're all at across the country and and I think what happens with this research is it's starting to at least from my experience uh, being with Metro Fire since 2006 I'm able to understand what's happening more in those spaces um, in those compartments that are on fire inside the building and and i think one thing that that is brought to light by the studies and the information and the videos if you watch them is that while we may be in one spot inside a structure and we might have a certain uh idea what's going on in that space we sort of correlate that to happening everywhere inside this inside the structure and and with all the videos and everything else that we're getting it's it's starting to open up our eyes that maybe what we thought was happening in our space and applying to the entire structure may or may not have been happening. And I think that's a key takeaway for people is, is we're all limited by our perception and, and our experience on our fire grounds. 
and what we experience we think is happening everywhere. So uh, when you really dive into these videos and you see what's going on simultaneously in these different spaces of the structure, I think it can be eye-opening for people. So what you're saying is, is what you're experiencing, for example, as a firefighter on a nozzle with an SCBA is vastly different than what somebody may be experiencing who's doing a VES or somebody who's a victim on the second floor of that same fire. It's that you can't assume that it's all the same experience at the same time, and it's changing, right? Yeah, exactly that. You know, um, you know, a coordinated, coordinated fire ground, and that being coordinated fire attack, whatever that is to you, um, in your agency, you know, that everybody has their subtle differences, but I think we all understand it's a, it's a similar, they all have similarities, um, but the how we get those things accomplished can change and be different depending on, on the tools that you have available for you. And, um, you know, one of the common things that, that was passed on to me was, you know, if you get a good timing of your ventilation, you're going to have a neutral plane lift. And if you're in that flow path, you're going to be in a good spot. It's going to help you make, you know, your last push down into the fire room. And I think some of the research has, has substantiated that and has proven that that's the case. But what I would caution people against is that's not necessarily happening in the bedroom off that flow path that has an open door, right? They may not be having the same lift or the same changes in, a, in that space that you're experiencing when you're in that flow path. Excellent. Chief, uh, Chief Ray, and then, oh, sorry, it was Captain, what was, what was the last name, Cap? Russell Gardner. Gardner. All right, Captain Gardner, and then what, what's your assignment? Obviously, Chief Castros knows you working in a, in a truck company or the, the rescue there or, or an engine. So, yeah, I uh, just got into our training division in April, and prior to that I was on the engine company as a captain for uh, four and a half years, and then I promoted from uh, – Truck 106 with uh, Chief Castro's as my BC. Okay, perfect. So I'm, that that is awesome that that you're in the training or in, now in the training and uh, and Chief Ray, I know that you're you're heavily involved in in training. Um, you know, talking about these things that are that are shifting us away from our experience. I have a much easier job when I'm training new firefighters because I, I get to provide them with a fresh imprint. You know, whereas I was brought up chalking doors, taking windows, a lot of those kind of muscle memory things I'm having to, to undo. Uh, one part of this study, and, and, uh, and Chief Ray was speaking about it just a little bit ago, is, is the, the value of isolation and, uh, and locating victims and, and isolating them, or even, you know, on the advance of the hose line, lo- finding a, a door and closing it versus opening that door and searching off the hose line. Um, what type of discussion did your group have about about shifting those types of, of training methods to match that goal of, of, of bringing compartmentalization to the fire ground at a, at a higher level? You know, that, that conversation is still ongoing, I feel like, and I, I know we talked a lot about it uh, last week with Chief Ray and, and the group that was in Philadelphia. And um, I would say the bigger contextual thing to understand is where we're at in relation to suppression. Um, pre-suppression, you know, isolation would would be uh, based off the information and what we can gather and probably even 
personal experience, isolation with localized ventilation um, is is more beneficial for that space and 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 the potential victims in that space. You know, you want to maybe look at ways to open that entire space up and get some good air in and bad air out, which which through um, I guess the proper term would be called tactical ventilation, um, and applying you know whether that be through fans your forms of vertical ventilation or horizontal hydraulic. I mean, hydraulic ventilation was was really, really awesome to see in person when it was done uh, immediately after suppression and, and allowing it to really, really um, set in and, and get a good exhaust and intake going for multiple entries in the structure. Obviously, that can be limited based off of people's water supply and things like that across the country. Not everywhere can do that. Um, but if that, that's a, that was a great tool that, that I learned a lot about during this project, if you will. Um, yeah, I don't know if that answered the question that. or not. I'm glad you mentioned that, uh, Russ, because one of the things we continually teach is, is the use of hydraulic ventilation as you're moving through the structure because of limited staffing oftentimes. You don't have a fully staffed truck company to support suppression, to support fire attack, or the truck company is busy doing search and rescue. Um, a two-person hose team can easily hydraulically ventilate a room or an area. It's incredibly effective, and you don't need another company. You don't even need to call for it. You just do it, and it's, it's pretty effective and pretty quick, so I'm glad that you guys saw that. And then from the, so from the, you know, battalion chief's uh, perspective, uh, you know, Chief Ray, you, you haven't been a part of this study uh, over the course of the last couple of years and, and starting to um, probably have a, a better grasp of, of the concepts of isolation, pre-extinguishment. And are, have you changed uh, some of the calls you're making on the fire ground? I know, again, a lot of us just in, the past few years have really phased out that that quick call for the PPV fan or 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 opening things up. Do you find yourself as an incident commander trying to guide the tactics a little bit more uh, when it comes to compartmentalization and ventilation? I, I would say yes. Um, one of the things that I kind of changed, I don't know, it's probably been well, it was it was it was around the start of the study because when, when we had that initial meeting, it really opened my eyes to some stuff and and not that not that I wasn't doing things right, but I just put more of a focus on more more of an emphasis so you know we're you know depending on the the building and all that kind of stuff, our layout's kind of four engines, two ladders, a rescue that kind of stuff but but everything circles around that 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 the life component right so I, I know that I know two things have to happen i have to I have to get water on the fire. And I have to get somebody in there doing an active search looking for victims and, and, and get them out in a timely fashion um, to have a positive outcome. So, so yeah, so, so for me, my, my initial priorities um, for my companies are, you know, get a line on the fire and then uh, the, the search is, is, is shortly there, it's shortly after. If, you know, it, obviously that changes if you got reports of subjects trapped, that kind of stuff, or if you've got an obvious rescue when you pull up somebody hanging out of a window, those types of things. But, but yeah, it's everything is that is, is life centered, and and I feel like that if I can if I can tag team it and coordinate it together, 
war on the fire, um, the search going on. If if for some reason there is a delay and some personnel or whatever getting there, I, I got the hydraulic vent to rely on until other companies can can get there. That kind of stuff. And and again, understanding the study and and where I'm at, it, the pre-suppression or post-suppression, it can it can really help. It's really it really strengthens my tactical decision making on the fire ground. Um, so, so that's kind of been my influence from this study, if you will. And like I said, it goes back to uh, to that to that first meeting where, you know, it was very eye opening for me on some stuff, some stuff that was even identified just in in the initial the initial startup. And um, so, yeah, that's kind of kind of my take. I, I I know that water supply is important. I know that RIT's absolutely important. You know. I try and bring those things in, you know, and that, that it's a little easier for me to do on the career side. But if I go to my volunteer department where we're much smaller, things have to be maybe a little more sequential rather than coordinated, if that makes sense, right? And so how do I, how do I balance that? How do I, you know, if, if you don't have the staffing to throw at it, how, how, do, you, how do you mitigate the incident and be effective um, for the victim to make things better? Um, so that's really where the challenge has come. Um, so, and again, th- these findings and stuff, th- again, they've they, they've helped strengthen my my tactical decision making and, and my my focus and just 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 in how I approach things. Um, again, there's a lot of other factors that play in. You know, buildings is you know, multi stories. Uh, multifamily, that kind of stuff, but, but for the single family dwelling, that kind of stuff, that it's, it, you know, in water on the fire, somebody searching. That those are those are the priorities for me right out the gate. So I I'm sitting here taking some notes as both of you are talking, and um, you know, one of the things I wrote down. This is something we already know, but the, this information, these studies, reinforce that coordination is key, and. Like I believe Russ said it earlier that you know what you're experiencing in, in the in the building on a fire is different than what others are experiencing based on where they are located, and that's and it's changing for everybody constantly. And so, if, as we tie this, we're kind of talking about the tactical space right here. Um, and so at least we're talking about tactical considerations. We're talking about coordinating the tactical objectives of fire attack and search, ventilation, and so forth. And and the way we do that is is through supervision and depending on your model it may or may not be easy to do depending on your staffing levels it may or may not be easy to to bridge what we call the tactical gap where all these nuances and details of coordination where is the victim how many victims and what is our tactic of choice and who's doing it and is is there water on the fire and and so who's doing that do we have a water supplier do we even need one right now or is this just a quick knockdown Um, who's taking care of ventilation if nobody is can we do hydraulic and Where's the victim coming out? Where's the medic unit to take him to the hospital? These are all functions of command, this coordinated effort. But the but the mean potatoes of doing that and, and coordinating laterally falls under command, but it's done by the tactical supervisors. And that can be a company officer, but more often it's going to be a tactical supervisor in the form of a division or group supervisor. Not every fire department can do that because they don't have the staffing. Some departments are, are heavy on chief officers, and light on workers, and some are heavy on workers and light on chief officers, and some have a lot of both. Um, so it just depends. But the point is, is that we have to bridge the gap on these incidents. And it's not so much that I, I don't believe, you know, Chief Ray 
from his command post is going to dictate, you know, exactly what line's going where or what search tactic, but he sure needs to know what the victim profile is. He needs to, to have accountability of who's doing what and then rely on his supervisors to, to really make it happen um, in the field, in the, in the field of battle. And that's something that we, we have to, I think, overlay on top of all these tactical considerations is the coordination of them, if that makes any sense to anybody. Sure. And, 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 yeah, and to speak a little bit more. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Russ. Go ahead. No, go ahead, Jake. Uh, well, all I was going to say, well, I was going to piggyback to add from what Russ was talking about. You know, you're talking about this, you know, the – the profile, that kind of stuff. It, it it's almost as if okay, it's is it searchable space? Can can firefighters get in a particular space and search it? And and I feel like part of that 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 I, I need my company officers to be able to identify that so that if I give the task, they can they can do it with confidence and do it um, smart, if you will. I mean, it's it's one of those deals where. It, it's important for me to to understand that aspect of the study and that aspect of the buildings and the homes that we're going to as much as it is um, what's the fire doing? Um, because again, I think there's a lot of there there are a lot of rescues and and I think I would be curious to know from uh, Chief Brush if if the the re- rescue survey is showing it. But you know, think what, what are the numbers as far as victims being remote or pulled? You know. Remotely from the fire, it might still be a smoky condition, that kind of stuff. I, I think those numbers would probably be a little bit higher. But it, it, the, the thing is, is that how can I, at the task level, how can I identify, you know, how can I help my company officers identify where they need, you know, where they need to initiate the search? You know, find the front, they go to the, you know, the truck company goes to the rear to initiate the search, those types of things. And and so for me, it's it's trying to make sure I understand what the study is saying about, What's going on within the building? What's searchable? Um, because we we have a little bit of a different approach than the civilian does because we're protected. So that's that's kind of that kind of plays into my tactical decision making as well. I hope that makes sense. Yeah, I, Chief, I would like to add to that. You know, um, a couple things. One would be. A part of this project was it's actually titled search and size up and and the size up piece hasn't quite made it out there yet it's going to be it's, it's hard to do a a size up uh, component on a huge report right because it's two-dimensional and and the images are still and we know that the fire ground changes and, it, and evolves as time keeps going so I'm really looking forward to that size up piece coming out uh, and what I'm hearing and how it's supposed to be delivered, um, it's supposed to be fairly interactive. And I think that's going to lead back to sort of what Chief Ray was talking about, you know, and it ultimately, ultimately boils down to his decision-making. Um, how do I make these decisions to to enter this space? And then when we marry that with, with the data and information that we got, um, we can have, we can be more tactically aggressive with those decisions. On, on searching a space or not searching a space and, and have more information on why we are doing what we are doing and understanding the risks that we're going to take and allowing command to coordinate those fire grounds 
accordingly. Um, little background story, when we were doing our coordinated fire attack meeting, our very first one, I think this was the late summer, early fall of 2017, everybody's around the room, we're talking coordinated fire attack and and what's that mean? And, and everybody started talking about all the stuff that Chief Castro labeled, you know, search, rescue, medical, all these things. And, and we had to limit ourselves in that regard because <clears throat> we didn't, we didn't have those, that a reliable system to go off of for all that stuff. But we could say, you know, have better understanding when we did fire attack and ventilation, how those two play together. Cause and I think I heard this at the beginning when I first called in, is the idea of a coordinated fire ground is different than coordinated fire attack. Coordinated fire ground is all those components, you know, uh, fire attack, search and rescue, ventilation, medical, all those things playing out in live time, whereas coordinated fire attack is just maybe considered just a, a component of that, and that's that relationship between suppression and a ventilation tactics that can lead to better outcomes. Um, for everybody, not just uh, not not just us or the civilian, but both of us, both groups of people benefit from that, and uh, it can allow us to be more efficient and effective out of what we do. That's music to my ears, brother. In uh, in, in looking at this, you know, and I I know we're kind of already bumping up on an hour. But this being a single story, basically single plane uh, occupancy, and I know, you know, there's research limitations and, and future research to be conducted, but, um, you know, I, I know you two uh, to be very experienced guys in the fire service, and uh, I know the makeup of your, your areas, and I know that you guys deal with a lot of two-story single-family dwellings. Um, what kind of from what you've learned in this single story setting uh, might you adjust? Because certainly a lot of discussion in the study about elevation within the rooms, but uh, when we start to talk about, uh, you know, the second story, a first floor fire with, with a, you know, second story extension with that smoke and interior stairways, um, are we really, really starting to put a higher priority on that second story and getting compartmentalization up there? I would say yes. You pray you want to stop? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I think you have to, uh, because obviously, you know, you're in that chimney effect. Well, you're above the fire, and I think that the toxicity levels, I think, is shown just I think it's shown probably in all the technical reports that, you know, that elevation is, 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 is key, right? And, and the toxicity levels are going to be much greater the higher you go up in the space. And so, yeah, so when you have that, when you have that first floor fire that may be extending to the second floor or it's just channeling everything upstairs, um, yeah, isolation and compartment. You know, trying to to ventilate in in a, in a certain compartment, target those rooms, um, and again, it, it 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 might be dicey from time to time. But at the end of the day, you know, it, we we've got some research that we can lean on to help us. You know, help us make the right decisions. You know, get in get in the room. You know, isolate if you need to. If you have a victim ventilate, that kind of stuff, make sure it's good and isolated because you don't want to, you know, flow path. So I, I would say, yeah, it does It does affect 
my tactical decision making. Yeah, and I was going to add to that, you know, and pardon me if I don't know the numbers specifically, but I, I remember hearing on a couple of different occasions, and mainly last week, uh, Chief Brush, I think it's something like 45% of the victims or something like that in the survey are found in the bedrooms and 25 or 30 ish, so almost three quarters of the victims were found in passive egress, meaning a hallway or a stairwell. Um, I don't know how accurate those numbers are. I'm just trying to go off the top of my head. But to me, the bigger number is that bedroom idea. And we know that, you know, most likely second-story homes, residential homes, the ones I've been into, that's there's not kitchens down there. Usually it's it's a bedroom. So when you take the data that we can get from, from the efforts of the Firefighter Rescue Survey, combine that with the the knowledge and the understanding of the data from from the research, I think we marry those two together and we can really, really be, again, uh, tactically aggressive on getting into those spaces and and then isolating them, doing some local vent and and really getting into those and occupying that space. That's what we're there for is to occupy space and, and get the fire out. So I think when we're not looking at just one singular source, but we start adding up all these sources that are that are coming at the fire service, probably just as many, if not more than ever, um, they can really, really make us more efficient operators on the fire ground. Absolutely. That was something we talked about at the top, uh, the beginning of the show, Russ, was how, you know, firefighter rescue survey, Brian's work has, and his team has really given us uh, incident-based data, not just, you know, firehouse tall tales at the kitchen table, but actual data in regards to, like you missed percentages of where our victims found, what's the tactic of choice, was it before and after or after knockdown, et cetera, et cetera. So we're getting we're getting really good information that's qualitative as well as quantitative. And it's all based on actual incidents. And, and for, what did you say, Tommy, last week, Brian, you're up to about 3,000 case studies now? Yeah, we, we're getting really, really close. I, I believe it was 2,800 or so. Um, our, our hope is that we're going to hit 3,000 uh, before the end of the year so that we, we will be able to provide that uh, that look at the 3,000 and then also a, a look at uh, 2022 as well. Phenomenal. So when you when you take that and you juxtapose it, like Russ said, with the science-based, you, you know, studies that we're discussing tonight, you know, you're, you're looking at two different points of reference. And when they hit the same mark, you know, you're, you're pretty solid on your assumptions. And um, I like what Russ said earlier about a coordinated fire ground. And that, that's the thing is that I can't tell you how many times I'd be on, on scene of a fire in command of an incident and the crews did a great job knocking the fire down or, or, and, or a great job getting the victim out, but then there was no medical support in a timely fashion. And like I, like I say, you know, we don't, football team doesn't spike the ball on the five yard line. They wait until they go in the end zone to celebrate. And, and until the victim walks out of the hospital, we got no business celebrating. And it takes all four main tactical objectives simultaneously, fire attack, search, vent, medical to make it successful. And so if I may, fellas, I just want to quickly go through some of these tactical considerations that are outlined in this, uh, in this document. Some of them, they're straightforward. I just want to get maybe a comment or two from each of you on each one of these tactical considerations, because I think 
we've been kind of talking in general terms, but I want to I want to rattle off these specific tactical considerations and get either one or both of you to just give brief comments on each one. Um, so the first one listed is um, provide effective interior and exterior suppression and sufficient resources. Consideration should be given to simultaneous execution of suppression, search, and rescue. So what that's that's telling us, like we've been saying, that simultaneous fire attack and search has to happen. How was that emphasized in this study? Just a couple comments on that one. Chief Ray, you want to go first or you want me to? You can go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, so what's important when we look at the tactical considerations is that a lot of them have to, tend to have re, repeating themes from prior research or this, this one in particular is supported by one that came out in 2017 that basically said from the fire attack re, uh, report that uh, search and fire attack and search can occur simultaneously, right? Um, I think in regards to this specific one, it, it's about resources and and making sure you have if you have the resources, let's get these things going earlier because the more and more we learn, um, just like any hazmat exposure, right? It's time and dose dependent, so. The longer our civilians are in there and the higher dose they're exposed to, the less likelihood they're going to have a positive outcome. So let's get these, let's get this, let's get this. Uh, we're already behind the eight ball. We're already behind the clock because of, of our response times and everything else. So as soon as we can, let's, let's get both, both components, the fire attack and that search going as soon as we can. Excellent. Okay. Next one. Go ahead. Go ahead, Chief. I don't have a whole lot to add to that actually, because Russ was 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 pretty spot on with it. But but you know it 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 goes back to showing that when when you when you coordinate it and you pair it together and it's working together, it, it that whole time component, like Russ said, is 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 what's critical and and not to delay it. And the the hard part is is that you know you have some in the fire service that. They want to hesitate, or they want to, they want to what if, or they second guess themselves, or they don't have the experience, or they don't have the knowledge, or whatever, to make that tactical decision to go ahead and move forward with it. And that's what this particular component does. It says do it because of X, Y, and Z. And so, um, yeah, I, I think that as as if given all things being equal, if if your agency you can do it, you know, simultaneously. It, do it. If if not, maybe you have to to you know be sequential in your stuff. But um, you know, it, from from my agency, um, we have units on top of each other, and there's no reason to delay the search just because the fire attack's going on, or the you know there's no reason to delay the tactics. Go with it. One of the things that we talk about in our training around the country is we'll ask everyone to close their eyes and we'll say, okay, raise your hands if you think fire attack's the priority. And then we say, raise your hands if you think search is the priority. And it's almost around a 50-50 split on, but we tell them to close their eyes. We don't give them any more information other than, hey, you're going to a house fire with victims trapped. We don't tell them anything about the structure, the location of the fire, the size of the fire, how many victims, where they are. Just a general gut feeling, and, and it's about 50-50. And it goes back to the fact they're both important, and you, you have to predicate if you're one engine with three people, 
and you have to make one or the other, and that's all you can do. It's predicated on size up and it's getting that victim profile. And so I'm really excited to see that next step um, and what your what your studies tell us about the size up piece because that is so vital. And and a lot of our firefighters are in that adrenaline, you know, drenched task level mode where they're not thinking size up. And so um, and the other thing is stepping back, the incident commander having a more decentralized command philosophy where you're decentralizing the task of coordination, decision-making to the, to the captains or division and group soups, that's going to make these things happen faster instead of the mother Mary, may I centralized method of incident command where the radio is flooded with, with requests to command and oftentimes command is behind the curve. So um, chief, what are your thoughts on that real quick? You talking to me? Or you yes, to I am. So I want to make sure. I, yeah, I apologize. Man. So, yeah, so. No, I'm, um, I'm, I'm talking yeah, to I mean, you, Chief Ray, in the context of this study, um, and, and, and I, I don't mean to blindside you with your command philosophy, but is it fair to say that a decentralized command philosophy will allow these two, it, it, well, all critical fire ground tactical objectives to happen quicker? I would say yes. Absolutely. I think it would. Um, you know, I, I think the de- when, when you start talking about the way my system works out is is that we have a chief that, that goes to the, the, the trolley side of the building or the opposite side of the building and we work from there and you know, the the, the interior, it, it's kind of, unfortunately, we don't truly identify the supervisor on the interior. It's normally the, whoever that first officer that makes it in the building usually gets, gets nodded with that. But but we don't mm-hmm. necessarily do a very good job, I guess you could say, if you will, of, of the, the face-to-face on the inside, working it out, making sure things get done. It's, it's more of, Hey, this is the order. You do it. You, you, units roll in. They kind of they get their they get their their task, and they they go from there. So I, I hope that that yeah. answers your question and kind of kind of makes sense to you. Yeah. Um, no, but, makes perfect sense. Somebody else is going to chime in there. <laughs> no. Okay. Yeah, chief. Yep. I got something real quick just to add to that. Um, yeah. I think this comes back training within your organization system and the playground you play on. If you train to a certain standard and a certain um, capabilities as far as how you're going to implement a command or a command system, that's what's going to be the most beneficial for you. So we can't we can't underestimate the importance and the value of that training so that we're we're working towards a, a same goal and it's not a surprise when we decide to go with the division Charlie and the division Alpha, or send somebody interior and have you know uh, division one, division two, or whatever it is, it's it's all about that training component, so that uh, when when the boots do hit the ground, it's it's not creating a speed bump. Well, I think I think you're you're making a very politically astute observation. Um, what we don't want is to make up the rules as we go. We don't want to. We don't want to show up, 
have one person go to a class and decide that's the time when two people are trapped. That's the time they're going to implement something that nobody else knows about. It's not part of the SOGs, right? And so right. that's – even though I've been guilty of that most of my career. Um, but that being said, it, yeah, it's critical that that everyone's on the same page. And so, um, you know, all these things are interconnected. The command piece, the tactical piece, the tactical decisions, the execution, the staffing, the SOGs, they're all intertwined and um, – when it comes to command, um, that's an overlay on top of all this. And that's that's kind of the point of this show is to kind of bring it all together. And that's why we bring in these types of tactical discussions. And um, I'm looking forward to continuing that dialogue um, beyond this show because I think that's uh, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's what's coming next, I think. Here's the next tactical consideration that's listed. In an isolated space, if an isolated space is identified as part of a thorough size-up, Consideration should be given to making entry into that space as part of a window-initiated search ahead of suppression. Isolation inhibits the establishment of a flow path between the fire compartment and the newly created vent until the firefighters are prepared to make the opening. If conditions permit searching beyond the compartment of entry, re-isolation upon exiting the space maintains a place of refuge if needed. Who wants to tackle that one? I think I'll start if you if you don't mind, Russ. I I personally think Go this ahead. one kind of reinforce. I think this one reinforces um, some things that we already know about um, size up. Um, you know, it, it, the the searchable space is is it is it a door closed? That kind of stuff. If the door is closed, can you enter in? You, you do your search. You open it. Can you can you Get down the hallway. Can you get across to another room? I think this one goes to reinforce some of the things that we've already been doing, um, and that was my takeaway from this particular consideration. Yeah, for so me, I, I agree with a lot of those things. Oh, go ahead. Well, just real quick question, and says so you answer this, um, Russ. Are we advocating that if we enter a compartment? Like a BES, and we if we are we saying that we may have a condition to continue a search from that compartment and then close the door behind us? Is that what we're saying? I just want to because when I read the study, it was a little a little fuzzy. Yeah, so this is a concept that that um, you know we all try to wrap our hands in. It's this instead of calling it a certain tactic like VEIS or VES. It was a window-initiated search, and what's that look like, right? Um, when we can do, again, going back to Chief Ray, a size-up of a window and, and make an educated, you know, determination that that space is isolated, we can start our search from there in the instance that maybe our main point of entry is, you know, heavily involved with fire and we can't get through the office side door or a, you know, for whatever reason, our a main access point is not readily available to have the ability to and the confidence to make that decision. Hey, we're going to start, we're going to do a window initiated search on the Charlie Bravo corner through a window and have that confidence in knowing that we can do that to occupy that space. And then looking at, you know, what's outside that door if conditions allow, um, you know, being able to continue that search to other spaces uh, within the structure. Mm -hmm. There's another TC 
coming up in here that talks about, you know, making that access point as remote from the seat of the fire as you can will buy you more time, essentially. Um, So when you tie those two together and you're looking at the, the, the structure as an entirety, you can say, okay, I looking at this window, comparing it to that one with my tick and my visual indicators, you know, uh, high temperature on one glass, lower temperature on the other. That higher temperature glass has is black. The other one's pretty clear, almost maybe a slightly fog. My curtains are still intact or my, my blinds aren't sagging. Um, I can maybe now take a look at that window, that, that space and say, hey, that one looks like it potentially is isolated. So let's, let's start our search here versus that one that's really hot, it's all blacked out, and that space may not be isolated. I think that's where this practical consideration is getting to. The, the other, the the other, be- the, the other best, lo- the best location for the, or best context for this one is, is the two-story dwellings, be it the, the townhouse that has limited second floor access, or a, uh, a, a two-story single-family dwelling with an involved porch. Um, if our quickest path to the second floor is a second-floor window, um, we, we don't want to restrict those guys from making the decision to complete a second-floor search uh, from, that, from that compartment. So I was just want to clarify and it sounds like you answered my question that that based on conditions this this tackle consideration is to potentially do a search of of the of a larger area than just the room you entered as ves or veis has taught in the past right so we're we're saying that we may initiate a window initiated search almost like it's the front door of the house but we're going to go in that compartment check conditions go in, close the door behind us to prevent flow path, but potentially search more than just that compartment, correct? Yes. Yes, Chief. Got it. Okay, yes. got it. Because um, that, you know, when I read that, I was like, okay, I just want to make sure I'm clear because this is counterintuitive to, you know, because when we teach VIS, the, the I is one of the key parts is, is isolate, and, and at best you search outside in the hallway before you close the door, but you don't go beyond that, and that's – that's something that could, you know, it's a, it's maybe counterintuitive when people first read it, but I get it makes sense. So when you talk about reading temperature of a window, is that something you guys were doing in this study? Were you reading window? Because these were, I read the study that these were insulated windows. Were you able to, to differentiate temperature of insulated windows, different heat temperatures with the tick? So this is part of that. This is part of that size up piece. What how we captured a lot of this was through ticks. And, vis- and raw raw video footage, and um, when you look at the at the ticks, you can see, you know, more energy on the in the room that we knew was open versus the one that wasn't, per se. Okay. Um, Got it. So it's it's again it's not 100% definitive, but if being as an operator and using you know a tick as a tool, your your vision as a tool and reading the building, you know, we can, we can make educated guesses. Um, obviously nothing's a hundred percent, but we can, we can now look at comparing two windows and say, you know, are they both open to the fire or is one maybe isolated one room isolated, the other one not. 
and and right. and maybe start our search in that one that we we think is isolated. And the same idea could be applied to a VEIS. You know, um, a lot of times it's do we mask up first and then break the window, or do we mask up afterwards? And these are all things that we got to get more data on to try and better understand. But I think if we could, you know, make some educated uh, decisions out there about when we look at the space from the exterior, if we can find ways to do that, it'll make us better operators on the fire ground. Yeah, well, for sure. And that's, that's part of the size up, right? Okay. Um, yes. Next one is uh, a victim located in a bedroom during a search with a closed, and this is from previous uh, previous data, um, a victim located in a bedroom during a search with a closed door between them and the fire has a much higher likelihood of survival than a victim with an open bedroom door. That's that's a no-brainer, but that's also corroborated by Firefighter Rescue Survey. So, Brian, if you want to chime in on that a little bit. Yeah, this is one that, you know, like we talked about, the uh, – we can look at the the dosages uh, from UL studies, but we we are finding that to prove out in our in our firefighter rescue survey. One of the the key questions is was the victim located behind a closed door, and we're just seeing the survival rate um, for that being much higher. Uh, the one thing I will say, and and this is why I I believe that the firefighter rescue survey is so important, is that the percentage of victims found behind closed doors is really low while the survivability is high. And we are still really in the infancy of the close before you doze campaign. So I'm hoping that in our lifetime, we see that victims found behind closed doors go up. Uh, so that way we know that the, the message is getting out to them. Um, and then also to our firefighters that the more we talk about this, when you do find a victim, almost, as you're calling victim, victim, victim over the radio, you're also closing a door uh, behind you and, and just being that aware of, of the, the value of compartmentalization. You mentioned you mentioned um, muscle memory earlier, Brian, and it's true. When we were coming up, it was you find the victim, you take them right back through the same garbage that you came through with your SCBA. And, and if they were alive, you probably eliminated any chance of survival as you removed them. Um, that was just how it was, you know, that was, and I think, that that, I think that's an important thing. And the, uh, maybe Richard, uh, you, or, or one of you guys can speak to how short or how acute of a dose. I, I thought I remember that them saying in, in some part of the study that the removal process could be long enough and acute enough of a dose that, that, that could be the lethal dose, uh, to these yeah, so I, I can add to that. Go ahead, Chief. No, I, I was just going to say, yeah, it, it, and, and Russ, please add what you will, but, but yeah, I mean, I think proximity is, is everything, right? I mean, if 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 they're really, if they're adjacent to the fire and and they do have a chance, the last thing we want to do is, is because it's put them back through that environment in the aspect of we still there's still work to be done training wise that kind of stuff on victim removal and all that to 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 give them the best the best chance and so um yeah i think proximity is the key what was you gonna say russ 
Yeah, I was going to sort of talk a little bit about how how we got to some of these numbers, right? So when we look at exposures, it's time and dose dependent. So what we did as a as a panel is we did a bunch of time to task stuff. So we went to your agency and you asked people in your agency to do victim drags, do VEIS operations, and and we time marked different things, how long it took to go certain amount of feet, and then compiled and sent all this data back to uh, Keith and Craig and the guys at UL, and and they did some like rate of rate of uh, travel for dragging, right? So for example. Uh, we found if we moved the victim at three feet, we we're moving at about one foot per second, right, on average. And that's these are obviously very wide range of numbers, but that's sort of the, you know, the the rate that we that we sort of all that it sort of agreed at. And, and the whole idea is that how fast we remove somebody is is obviously dependent on the size of the victim, uh, our personal abilities as firefighters or as a crew, a number of resources we have to do it. And then to piggyback on that, we had so much instrumentation inside these, these structures that we're able to gather um, gas concentrations at multiple levels within the same spot or same geographical region. So, for example, three foot and one foot. And so when, when the online training comes out for this, the intent is to have it, again, be fairly interactive to where if you found a victim here, they will say the – the dose, the FED is what it's called, right, is at that moment this, you know, estimated. And if you drag them out this way at one foot, it would go up this much. If you drag them out at their head at three foot, it would go out at this much, right? It would go up at this much. Or if you stayed in place and got localized vent going, what would that number expo total exposure potentially look like, right? So now – People are able to say and, 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 and play with this package, if you will, uh, in a simulated way and get ideas of what a potentially a person, a victim, would, would be exposed to, what their total dosage would be, right? Now, what changes is a thing called FER. That's how fast they, get, they consume or are exposed to things. Um, and the FER is really hard, especially because you've got to look at whether or not the victim is breathing, right? If they're breathing, they they are going to inhale toxic gases at a higher rate than somebody that's not breathing. I think that's pretty common sense, but plays out over the course of time. If they're, if they're breathing, you know, their exposure, their FED may or may not from toxic gases will be potentially higher than somebody that's not breathing. So now those start to play into uh, the dynamics of removing a, a victim, right? Of what's the status of my victim? Um, this, this is all just talking toxic gases. This isn't talking thermal exposures, right? When we talk thermal exposures, uh, I think um, those are the things that we've probably more traditionally talked about as far as, you know, direct radiant heat or convected heat can have an impact on on a person's skin, body, and and just as importantly, their airway. So it's a, it's a lot of information that's in there, and you have to look at the generalized components of it and look at what what the limitations of the data are, but also within those limitations, there's still a lot of good information in there on on things that we probably sort of already intuitively knew as a fire service, but now it can confirm a lot of that information or that that intuition for us. 
and allow us to, again, just understand at a higher level what's going on. You know, as we're talking about victim removal, I'm, I'm here at 5.8 on page 82, impact of removal pathway. This for fires where occupant removal may precede suppression. So you get into a victim before the waters in the fire or in the pro or before the fire is contained or knocked at all. Consideration should be given to an egress route that does not pass the fire compartment along the path of travel. This route may differ from that taken by the firefighters who commence the search. So this is saying you enter from point A, you find a victim at point B, you're not going to necessarily go back to point A because point A, between A and B is where the fire is. Take them out C or take them out, you know, whatever is the closest to the outside for them. Um, and this, again, common sense, but, you know, you got to remember we're, we're, we're experiencing a geometric rate of, of attrition in the fire service. And when you're talking to a new recruit class about searching, that's a whole different planet than, than you know, just we have a much, like, like Russ said earlier about the overall average age at, at our agency versus throughout the country, it's the same problem. Um, the, the amount of new folks coming in, you can't take for granted that they know what they, that, that they have quote unquote firefighter common sense. So this is a, this is one of your um, tactical considerations that speaks right to that. Yeah, Chief, and another one. Yeah, turn off this conversation. <laughs> Go ahead. I was going to say when I joined the conversation, that's what we were talking about was was how do we replace you know years of experience? Well, through training, education, and then you know conversations. So I think all that speaks to uh, where we can we can capitalize on the research as, as providing more and more education. For people, I always like to say exactly. it's really hard, it's really hard to replace experience, but it's pretty easy to replace wasted experience. And I believe that that's what these tools do. I mean, we, this uh, this information, these techniques would have saved me years of, of performing the wrong way. And that's that's what we hope for every generation is to give them a head start on on the previous. Yeah, if I had this, if I had this 30, whatever it was, 35 years ago, as part of my initial firefighter training, I would have made a whole lot of difference. Um, so hats off to you guys. I know we're getting late. I want to ask one last question and then give it over to Brian. Um, you talked about searchable, and I know that's the term that's getting kicked around. We've been hearing about survivable space, um, survivability profiling. Our, our friend, Chief Steve Marser from FDNY, um, really broke ground on that over 10 years ago. Um, and he and I have talked with Chief Rush, three of us have talked quite a bit in the past couple of years. I'm hearing a lot more about searchable space, and you guys have mentioned it both a couple times now. Um, I know what I think um, and what I, how I interpret it, but just for the sake of those listening, how is that interpreted in, in your, in your uh, group? I would say searchable space is, is, is an area that we can occupy um, with our PPE. Um, obviously, <laughs> if you, you look at some of these videos, you know, 
some of these rooms that's got fire blown, the rooms that had fire coming out of them, we're obviously not going to be able to enter that, but an area that we could effectively enter and search with our PPE is is how I interpret the searchable space. Would you agree with that, Copy Russ? that. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I agree with that 100%. And, and how the reports try and address that is through – I believe the data came from a 1970s UTEC study that talked about different levels of operating, and uh, they have routine, ordinary, and emergency. And very few of our spaces got to that emergency, and then even emergency component for PPE use. Um, and then we did have some that got to what we I think they we called it like emergency two. Uh, and things of that nature. When yeah, you look at graphs it. in the report, yeah, you'll see yeah. that. And and for me, what what I I'm a believer that that pretty much that entire structure is searchable and needs to be searched based off of my experience. Excuse me. And and it was reconfirmed with the 2017 study, and then coordinated fire attack, and now this one. Um, when we look at the, the the better snapshot the snapshots we have now through instrumentation and how that transcribed to what used to be used as pigskin uh, for to measure you know mechanical damage to us to a skin um, I think right now as a fire service we should be we should be aware that you know when we say it's searchable that means we can get in there but I, I, I really hope that the American Fire Service can understand that there's a lot more searchable than we think inside those spaces. Um, when you look at, you know, the bedroom fires in this, for example, you know, the bedroom, the fire that bedroom four that all those fires were lit in, and then maybe just outside that hallway was, un, you know, was un, unsurvivable, if you will. But shoot, that's you know, if we're looking at a 2,000 square foot home, and that's only 100. And, 50 to 200 square feet. That's only 10% of that house. And and let's 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 understand that we can we can get inside that space and and get a good search in in that example and 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 occupy it. Searchable to me is just means exactly what Chief Ray said. We can get in there with our gear on. So let's go do it. And, and, and I'd like to add to that. I'm sorry. Can, can I? I just want to add one thing to that. That that that's a concern for me. That one of when you know is that a lot of today's fire service um, is young. Yes, youth. They're starving for it. We can. You know, we're giving them this information and we're empowering them to 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 search those searchable spaces. But there's still a contingency there too that they you know the department pulls up. They they don't do a good size up. They don't they don't take a good look at the building and what's going on. And they see a, they see a certain amount of fire. And they, their default is all oh, well. It's not it's not. They use the they'll use the term survivable. And and I'm hoping that one of the things that this study does, and it goes back to what Russ said earlier about what you see isn't exactly what's going on throughout the house. I hope that really takes off and educates and, and gets us past that point, if you will. That, that's all I was going to add, Chief. I, you know what, Chief? I, I 100% agree. The reason I asked this question is 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 because uh, 
is because this co- this comes up all across the country more and more recently. And I have a saying: I don't want I don't want my officers or my firefighters playing God from the street. Because when you're in the street, it's easy to assume that a house that quote looks quote unquote fully involved to assume that there's nothing quote unquote survivable inside that space. And whenever I ask that, I'll show a picture of a house with fire blown out of every orifice. And I'll say, how many of you would call that fully involved? And, you know, 90% of the hands go up and then I'll do a laugh and they'll, they'll look at the back and they'll see one window that's looks more tenable to, to Russ's point. Or I'll say, you know, if it was your family, would you want the fire department first an officer from the cab of his or her engine saying, non-survivable from the street without doing a lap, without talking to bystanders, without looking for spaces and looking for tactical points of opportunity. Of course, everyone says, oh, well, if it was my family, I'd want the fire department to really, you know, be more thorough and I'd want them to do it. I say, well, of course. And and so my saying, again, is just I don't like it, people playing God from the street. So survivable is 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 really relative, and this study proves that, Survival is relative to everything from the distance of the individual from the fire and smoke to the, to the plane that they're on with the smoke and the fire to the what floor they're on to what their health level is or age, um, pre-existing conditions to use our COVID terms. There's a lot of things that drive whether somebody will survive, but let's not, let's not write them off performing a good search size up. And I like the fact that if we say, look, we can control whether we get in there or not, and getting in there is what gives them the greatest chance of survival, not not writing them off from the from the parking lot. Does that make sense? That's hundred percent, Chief. Hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah, we yeah. we That's are the survivability department. <laughs> right. 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 Exactly. We we, so, we put Chief. water on it. We uh, we close doors. We increase survivability opportunity. Yeah. So, um, hey, it's uh, about 6.09 California time. We're, we're bumping up against an hour and 10 minutes. Um, and I know if, if Russ doesn't eat every hour and 15 minutes, he becomes the Incredible Hulk. So we're going to have to let him go. So what we're going to do is we're going to shut this down. But this is great dialogue, gentlemen. I really appreciate your time. Brian, anything you want to add or ask or say about tonight? I uh, just just thank you guys so much for your work up to this point and uh, and your work going forward. I know they they will be leaning on you heavily to uh, be ambassadors of this information and 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 with that ambassadors of of improving outcomes for our citizens and I I just I can't thank you guys enough for taking on a, a greater role in the fire service outside your organizations because you really are helping us all help others. Thank you, Chief. Amen. Thank, thank uh, you. Chief yep. Ray, anything you want to add? Uh, just uh, again, thank you, uh, thank you for having me on. Um, it, this has been great, um, great discussion. Um, just you know, last tidbit I'd probably say is just remember why we're here. We're here to uh, to save lives and to give them the best chance. Um, and uh, Again, thank you for having me, and, and, and I really appreciate it. Cam Gardner, Russ, do you want to add anything? Yeah, echo everything uh, Chief Ray said. You know, I, I appreciate the opportunity to be involved with the discussion and uh, add some context to to the research. 
Um, it's hard to get out there and, and do a lot of things and and uh, and help people understand where and why we came from to the results that we got. But um, having opportunities like this, I'm, I'm I'm grateful for, and I just want to say thanks to Chief Castros for the opportunity. Thank you, gentlemen. Um, I want to thank Chief Richard Ray and Catherine Russ Gardner for their work on the technical panel for analysis and search and rescue tactics in single story, single family homes, part three, tactical considerations. And it's a Herculean effort. And with, with this kind of effort being out in front, you're going to always have critics. And uh, that's just part of leadership. That's part of the fire service. So keep doing what you're doing, gentlemen. For those of you listening, um, please reach out to us. You can reach me at info at trainfirefighters.com. We're doing a lot of command and tactical training around the country. We have a new online incident command class, uh, Calm the Chaos, Mashing Fireground Command is now online, and we're doing it uh, around the country hands-on with Train the Trainer. We just did Omaha, Nebraska, Oklahoma City. We're doing uh, Reno, Nevada, and Fresno, California coming up here soon. If you have any questions about that, visit us at trainfirefighters.com. We're also doing a lot of leadership and team-building training. We're just doing some work now. We're starting a project with Los Angeles City Fire Department, working with that esteemed organization. Uh, Brian, any way they, uh, you want to give them your info, or do you want to stay uh, under the radar and not talk to people like usual? <laughs> very, it's very simple. Brian Ebrush at gmail.com is where you can get me by email. Um, I will be returning to work hopefully very soon after a long injury, and uh, I may be uh, focusing on that or hopefully be focusing on my return to work here. And visit firefighterrescuesurvey.com. If you have a rescue, um, fill out the form. If you haven't, go there and get the information. It's incredibly insightful and will help your overall knowledge uh, when it comes to tactical considerations. Thank you, gentlemen. God bless you all. God bless the American Fire Service, those we serve and those we lead and those at home. Have a great night, everybody. Thank you.